Welcome to What the Hell is Economics, the podcast where we encourage you to stimulate your inner GDP and understand what the fudge fiscal policy actually is, without using any Latin words or graphs, because you can't see them. It's a podcast. My dad, Dr. Jared Lyons, is an economist. He gives lectures. But only when asked. He's not a nuisance. I am Elf Lyons, according to one newspaper, an ungainly, absurdist female comedian with very long arms. My dad thinks economics is awesome. Because he thinks it's awesome, I think it is awesome. But not everyone agrees. Some people think it is bloody boring and complicated. But we are here to prove otherwise. Welcome to What the Hell is Economics? Hello, everyone. So this is about the 25th time we started to record this. We did start recording this episode and then me and my dad and Danny, our wonderful producer, realised that dad and I seemed to be coming across a bit more grumpy than we normally do with I ourselves. I never come across grumpy. Sometimes you do, dad. If you can't find the cat, you're very grumpy. Um and sometimes if you go on Twitter, you get even more grumpy. And then me and Jared and Lulu have to hide your phone. Um, normally wherever the cat is hiding. Anyway, we realised we were quite grumpy. And then we realised it was because we hadn't eaten. So we then had to pause the podcast recording to do an emergency pizza order. And then the pizza turned up. Lovely gentleman turned up and held the pizzas in a totally normal way. I had a margarita the- pizza that was supposed to have mushrooms on the top. But it had all the mushrooms at one side. Because the gentleman had held all the uh, pizzas on their side, which is obviously not what you do. So we ate these in a fury. And now we've realised we do love each other. It is all okay. Everything is going to be all right. Or is it? And it's given us the energy we need to discuss this really important topic for me because it's been a big topic since I was a kid, because when I was little, I used to annoy you, didn't I, Daddy? Um, but even before I'm about to tell you what I did, I used to switch off all the switches in the house. Oh, at the plugs on the wall. Yeah, all so the time. So I would think I was charging my phone, and then i pick up my phone to go out, and it wasn't charged at all. Yeah, I particularly remember one weekend where you had to fly away, I think, to America to do something, and you wanted to charge your phone. But it was also, I was desperate for you to play the new Harry Potter board game with me. And I didn't have anyone in my family who'd read the books. So I decided the night before to be totally helpful and unpack some of the key big-looking documents in my dad's suitcase <laughs> and swap them with the Harry Potter books and unplugged your There was three, three Harry Potter three, books. And dad read them all, didn't you? Yes, partly because they had replaced the economic and financial books. And then I was really upset because you came back from the trip and you beat me at the board game. Oh, uh, uh, that's right. Because you remembered all the facts. Anyway, anyway, I'm digressing. But the point is, I used to see switch everything off because I was very environmentally conscious. And I like to imagine that I still am. And what I thought for me, this episode, because it's based off lots of conversations I have with my friends about the environment and the economy, is can we grow and be green at the same time in 2022? I think about this, it seems all doom and gloom, but what is happening right now? We had COP26 in Glasgow last year. Um, I don't actually know what COP stands for. Well, COP stands for Conference of the Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. I'm not sure why they call it that, because they never explain on the TV what COP stands for. They always say COP, as if it's Liverpool Football Club. So COP. COP. 
COP26. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it sounds... It is cool, but it does sound like it should have a song to it. You know, in the 70s, the fear was that we were about to have an ice age. In fact, The Clash had the song. Uh, London, London Corning. Yeah, they play it on the way to Sun zooming down yeah. and ice age is coming. Mm-hmm. And then the focus started to be about climate change. And now it's global warming. Or is it the other way around? Global warming, climate change. That's right. Yes, we're now talking about climate change. Let's get it right. But what's really interesting, I think, not that we're going to talk about the science. That's really interesting. Here we go again. Is that, how many times okay. you say that Over the last 40 years, the science is now unequivocal. Unfortunately, it's unequivocal. That shows that climate change is with us. And unless something is done... Unfortunately, it's going to get worse. But everyone says, unless something is done, we've been trying to do things and we're not getting anything done. We've seen it to be there lots of conferences where people shake hands and look happy. Well, I think it's unfair, actually, because you do get the impression that it's all doom and gloom and we're heading for Armageddon. The reality, though, is that there is a lot of advancement. In fact, just look at the fact that we're having this conversation, this debate on the podcast. There's now greater acceptance of the fact that it's no longer green versus growth, which I would say it was 10, 20, maybe 25 years ago. Now it's about green and growth. The fact is that more people are aware of the environmental challenges, more consumers, people want to buy things that are environmentally friendly. Mm -hmm. So that's forcing companies to become more environmentally friendly. So as the market changes, that forces change. So we are seeing a big And we have seen a big, significant challenge being addressed and there's now progress being made. Doesn't mean to say that we should be complacent, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that we should be overly pessimistic. Need to be realistic. A lot has been done. There's still a phenomenal amount that still needs to be done. So what is being done? Okay, let's talk about all these meetings because these meetings get mentioned all the time. The one that was really big at the beginning, let's go through a few milestones. 1992, there was the Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro. And then the next big event, I would say, was the late 90s, the Kyoto Protocol, when there was a further sort of boost to this global get together, let's address let's climate get change. Together. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. here in the UK, we had the Stern report in 2006. That was written by Nick Stern, who's an economist who I know, who's a good guy. And his good report... Good guy, smart guy. Why don't you name your reports after yourself? Have a lion's report. Yes. What shall I write about, though? I don't know, the economy. Or you could just write about the cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, carry on. After the Stern report, yeah. 2015, there was the... <laughs> big meeting in France when they everyone was clapping at the end uh, not because it was in France but because they all made progress all these various participants who'd flown in from all over the world to tell us not to fly to address the environmental challenge mm-hmm. all of them thankfully decided that let's actually make progress and it was about limiting the increase in global temperatures over the next half century. And then a few years later, there was the Madrid Summit 2019. And then the one you mentioned a few moments ago in Glasgow, which was supposed to be 2020. Every five years, one of these cops is really big. And that was the Glasgow one. But because of COVID, it took place in 2021. But progress, unfortunately, was not as good as it should have been. And there's many reasons for this. But it comes back to your question. The global economy in difficulty Many countries running big budget deficits, government finances are being squeezed, economies slower, and therefore suddenly the green agenda, as important as it was, 
was not centre stage for many countries. And indeed, one or two were openly saying, do we really need to be doing this as quickly as we previously had thought? So it is a challenging time for those of us who believe that we should be addressing the green challenge. It's funny because thinking about it with COVID, one thing that was always shared was how we're all in isolation, but the environment is healing itself during this time. Because obviously so many industries and areas closed down or people weren't going to work. You think obviously that would have had a really positive environmental impact. It did, but we don't want to have progress without growth. And that highlights the debate we're having about whether we can have green and growth at the same time. And it's very difficult to go from a fossil fuel economy to a fully renewable economy, a carbon neutral economy overnight. You can imagine everything is geared, our homes, the way we travel, the way we use energy, it was geared to fossil fuels. Now we're trying to move away from that. It's not easy to do that as quickly as some people would like. And it's also quite costly in some respects, retrofitting properties to make them energy efficient, changing the way we actually behave. But progress is happening. But also at the same time, people talk about the cost. It costs enough that obviously the biggest cost is the planet. And you say it doesn't happen overnight. But from my memory, since I was 11, since I did my speech, do you remember at primary school, we all had to give a speech and I did a speech on the environment, Dad. It was very good. It was very good. And they asked me a political question. One of the parents was just like, so do you recycle? And then I said, well, I recycle every day, which I was sort of an over a judgment because I didn't quite understand how the bins worked. I just assumed we recycled. But it feels like there's been enough time for us to have done that and worked out how to be pro-growth and pro-green. Well, the green economy, that's about economic growth and the environment going hand in hand. So if you aim for and achieve economic growth, it's vital that natural assets in the planet are not depleted so that we retain our natural resources as they're not infinitely substitutable. And what about policy then? Yeah, well, policy really does matter, whether it's sort of taxes and subsidies or laws and regulations. Uh, policy matters sort of to incentivise a renewable agenda and also to discourage externalities like pollution. But above all, it's really about innovation and investment and creating that backdrop where innovation and investment takes place because we need to move away from a carbon intensive infrastructure. So I think to conclude the first part, I think we are pro-growth and green. Next question is, what does that actually mean? How does it happen? Well, this is the thing. What I want to know is, you mentioning the fact they had to fly over to these meetings. You have to commute internationally now to have this. We pride on ourselves on being such a beautiful, interconnected world, being able to meet and work with people all around the world and being able to buy things internationally. Really exciting. And you can't not do these things that put so much environment so much strain on the environment and I was thinking about this my algorithms on my phone constantly send me recommendations for eco-friendly stuff all the time eco-friendly swimming costumes eco-friendly moon cups eco-friendly this eco-friendly that and then you look at it you go fantastic eco-friendly wonderful eco-friendly toothbrushes and then I look and it says made in wherever made in China made in India made in America looking at the shipping costs even though it might seem this is carbon neutral, once you're transporting these things long distance the car and the storage, the carbon cost to the good actually increases massively. Is yeah, there any point? A whole host of issues. But the marginal cost of transporting that extra whatever it is that you've bought will be very 
limited, tiny. But more importantly, we're seeing is processes are changing. As more people are demanding greener goods, the production of these goods, and indeed other things, is becoming more environmentally friendly. The way we transport things is also becoming more environmentally friendly. And therefore, over time, not immediately, one will see the whole economy becoming more environmentally friendly. What one has at the moment, though, is many companies, I won't say have a cop-out, because when you look at it, it's about reducing emissions, storage of the carbon in the atmosphere, and then maybe addressing it by reforestation or new technologies. Companies are developing new technologies that are environmentally friendly or make the economy more environmentally friendly, are becoming more circular in how they use everything, less waste, more things that used to be thrown away are now reused in the cycle. But reforestation is a clear thing. Many companies are sort of saying, well, if we use planes, etc., we'll plant something else to offset that impact. So companies are doing their own things in different ways, but the issue is that we want to see more environmentally friendly output. Do you think we're doing enough? Yes. In the world? We are. The point is that you can't, as I say, move from where we were to where we want to be overnight. It's gradual. Some people would like it to be quicker, but you need to do it in a way in which it doesn't have too much of a cost attached to it. Because why can't you just ban plastic? Why can't the governments just around the world say, we're going to stop making plastic? Okay, there are a number of different aspects to it, but some countries are doing that. But the plastic was there for a reason. But we have become overly, and it's a valid point, overly dependent on things like plastic that in terms of the environment are not as friendly as... Well, they're not friendly at all. Think of all the turtles dying. When I have conversations with my students about eco-friendly issues, plastic is the one thing. It doesn't make sense to me when something is so illogical. Why can't you just ban it? Okay, plastics are a major source of global marine pollution. And the solution includes a multitude of things. Naturally cleaning up the present plastic pollution, developing degradable plastics, substituting to other materials, ideally, and also a global approach to shift away from plastics. But of course, on top of all this, it highlights or focuses attention on the blue economy that's linked to the oceans and protecting the ecosystems there. I like blue economy as opposed to green economy. Blue economy. Blue economy. You don't hear that enough. Yeah, well, it's becoming a more important focus, particularly in terms of the Antarctic and obviously given how important the oceans are. Yeah, because they're getting bigger, the oceans, because they're getting higher, Daddy, because everything's Yeah, that melting. leads on to another issue that we probably don't have time to talk about today, which is that one of the consequences of rising sea level is that people who live in low-lying areas start to become more vulnerable and more exposed to the consequences of climate change. And that's a big issue, particularly in developing countries. And that's leading to greater worries about future migration. So all of this is linked not just to what's happening on the environment and to the economy now, but in terms of how we handle this in the future as well. So actually, when people are talking about migration or when they're using quite powerful language about asylum seekers and migrants and something and you know all that sort of language you can also always lead it back to environmental issues as being a yeah major migration thing for covers to a multitude of reasons and in terms of the climate change agenda there will be unfortunately people who are forced to migrate because of where they're living on the coast starts to become exposed to rising sea levels
Okay. Within the, that Paris meeting, the focus was on three areas, and these three areas have become central to addressing these issues. There was adaptation, mitigation, and then finance as well. So adaptation is how we adapt to a lower fossil fuel environment and a rising global temperature environment, how we mitigate against the changes and finance how we fund it, especially giving money to poorer countries who don't have the wherewithal to finance an adjustment process because it's not cheap. That's partly why some countries are not as enthusiastic maybe as we would like them to be. Should there be more interconnection with the countries to support each other going green? Well, that was the thing about the finance initiative where in Glasgow it didn't really follow through. The argument was that the developed countries, the wealthier countries, would actually put together money, $100 billion, I think it was, per year, to send to developing countries to help them pay for the cost of adjustment. <laughs> Daddy. When you answer your questions, this won't matter to the listener, but it matters to me. Can you smile? Because okay. I keep feeling like I'm being told off. <laughs> no, now it's too much. Now you need to relax. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. Good. <laughs> this reminds me of the time I once walked in on my dad and I said, Dad, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just watching a video showing me all the data of all the people that are dying right now in the world and all the numbers of people that are being born. Isn't this fascinating? And I thought, that is my father. There we go. And I'll just leave the room and work out where the cat is. So it's positive. You're saying it's more positive than I consider it to be. But what are the economic issues at play in all of this? Well, there are so many, but let me just highlight some. In my view, there still needs to be a robust economic debate about the best way forward. And in that respect, this topic probably still needs to become more mainstream in terms of the economic debate itself. In terms of what happens in the real world, sensible public policy is essential. But obviously, we don't want it just to be governments telling people what to do. As I touched on earlier, there is a natural change with younger people in particular wanting different types of goods, and that's forcing companies to change. But the incentives need to be there not just in terms of the market, but other incentives. So it needs the private sector and the financial sector to be aligned. And the financial sector is now starting to move this way. It can sort of maybe go from one extreme to the other. Not everyone is happy at some of the developments, but that's a separate point. You can try and ration things, but what we want is the price mechanism to be the way in which things are solved. And Therefore, given that we're trying to limit greenhouse gas emissions, but in particular carbon dioxide emissions, having a carbon price that is an international market is essential if we are really to address global climate change fully. Then some of those issues linked to adaptation and mitigation, I think, need to come to the fore. There's a big mitigation gap, as it's called. Collective action is not sufficient to mitigate climate change. But again, that comes back to public policy, the carbon price and the private sector and the financial sector. But if we look in the economies, some of the areas where progress is being made, but still more needs to be done, farming and land use. How can we have that? Uh, that responds to regulations and to changing human behaviour. Energy efficiency in terms of homes, for instance, that comes back to retrofitting as well as building 
more energy efficient homes, then the price of renewables and the price of the energy we want to use. We want to see a shift away from fossil fuels towards renewables. So for people to use renewables, and they not only want to be able to do it, they need to be able to afford to do it. So greening the financial sector on top of that. Uh, then there's the economics of smart cities, sustainable finance and green growth all coming together. So actions will determine the outcome, but these are some of the economic issues. There are more as well. Pretty intense, Dad. It is intense. You didn't but smile once. I smile when I'm not talking. <laughs> yeah. But I think the UK, notwithstanding everything, is doing far better than I think than many people realise. Who are who would you say are the top places in the world that are doing good, doing good on the green agenda, doing good on the green green economy? What has happened in answering that is globalisation has often seen countries export their problem elsewhere. One of the big emitters of carbon dioxide was global manufacturing. So what we've seen is lots of that moved to China. Mm -hmm. And China, even within China, moved from coastal areas to inland areas. So sometimes we export our problem elsewhere. And some countries claim they are environmentally friendly or green, whereas actually they still import lots of the goods from elsewhere. It's like uh, dumping all your rubbish in a different place. Um, Fly tipping. Yeah. But China, actually, I, as you know, I'm on the board of Bank of China in the UK. And the reason for mentioning that is that I'm fully aware that the Chinese, notwithstanding there's lots of issues on the green agenda, they are trying to play a leading role. But, of course, it goes into other aspects water for instance mm -hmm. one of the united nations sustainable development goals relates to water and there the issue again it covers a multitude of areas is about ensuring universal access to safe and affordable drinking water and also climate change is impacting weather patterns leading to droughts so at the global level there are many different things it's about a focus on access to water also about sanitation for all whereas if we take it back to the uk it's more about collecting and retention of water through reservoirs and preventing leaking of pipes. So globally, it's about access to clean drinking water, about sanitation. In the UK, a slightly different focus, but all of these various issues are vitally important. Which is why when I was little, you, I would always turn all the taps off, even when you were running a bath and you left the room and I would go, why is dad running her bath? I'll turn off the taps. And sometimes I would turn off the hot tap and leave the cold tap on. And dad, you'd get really cross because then you'd come back to have your cold bath and you'd find that all the water had been replaced <laughs> with Harry Potter books. Very good. On the broader issue, economists would say, what you're talking about is about the pricing of water because if you had to pay each time you turn the taps on the argument is it might make people think more carefully but i guess that's a secondary issue linked to yeah. what we were talking about well that was why it's always important to have showers and baths with other people that's what i do I invite everyone in the local area to have a bath with me. And I say it's purely for environmental reasons. It's very interesting because in the 70s, we had a drought, the summer of 76. And there was a minister for drought. I think his name was Healy. And the first thing he <laughs> did was to tell people to have baths together. Mm -hmm. um, he then, actually, a few days after he became the minister for drought, the drought ended. <laughs> and there was loads of rain. So probably the most effective minister we've had for decades, actually. 
<laughs> I love that. When the England cricket team went to Australia to play the Ashes about 35 years ago, it said there was only three things wrong with them. Uh, they can't bat, they can't bowl, and they can't field. But apart from that, they're okay. In China, it was said there's only three things wrong with water. They don't have enough of it. What's there is in the wrong place, and it's not always good quality. So, And that's not the, as catchy at a cricket match. No, that's not as catchy. So different countries are addressing things, China included. But Britain, I think, is in a strong space. For instance, if you look from 1990 up until just before COVID, emissions of carbon dioxide in the UK had come down sort of 40, well, it was 42% exactly from 1990 up to 2017, but then came down a bit more. So that we were seeing reductions in carbon dioxide in transport, energy supply, business, residential, and even agriculture. So we've come a long way in a short space of time here in the UK. It feels like for me as a 31-year-old woman, who frequently gets told or asked, am I getting my eggs frozen? Am I going to have children? Do I want to have children? Why am I on my own? Am I barren? Do I want a cat? I was about this with all my friends about the future because the environment genuinely scares me, as does the fact that I can never afford to buy a house and everything at the moment is ridiculously expensive, like even trying to heat this place. As an environmentalist, my logic is, as a 31-year-old woman, I'm not going to have kids because they're environmentally dangerous and they cost a lot and I'm going to live in a polyamorous thripple with lots of people in one place so we crunch down we are spending less money on heating for more people and we're all sharing a more huge amount of space I'm going to take my food um do what why are you looking Look, confused are children consumption goods or investment goods what do you mean <laughs> do you pump money into them so they just consume everything or do you pump money into them spend money on them and it's an investment for the future i thought and you were suggesting saying... cannibalism for a second <laughs> i thought you meant as in breed children like to eat are... children look you shouldn't be so pessimistic look let's take britain take the end of last year 2021 yeah last quarter of last year i just happen to know these figures uh 43 of our electricity came from renewables particularly wind. Solar power is only a small amount, probably because it doesn't, there's not much sun. Um, yeah, but it's there hard was biomass, hydropower as well. But there, hydropower is only 2.1% or was in the fourth quarter last year. Now, because of the war in Ukraine, people are saying that we need to become energy self-sufficient. And the worry is that that will push back the green agenda. But I still think renewables should be central to our progress in the future. And what's fascinating when you go around the UK, I was in Grimsby last week. And when you get up there, Dad, you always I go boast. to exciting places. Grimsby's one, really fun to gig in. Yeah. Yes. I've been there to watch football matches as well, but not to watch gigs. But we love you, Grimsby. But the reason for mentioning it on that. Not that Grinsby was one of the places, but on the eastern seaboard, if you want to call it, you're seeing such big advances like offshore winds, Blythe, Hull, and if you go much further up into Scotland, Aberdeen are big centres in the UK mm -hmm. for offshore wind. You look at hydrogen, which has become centre stage recently, Tees Valley, which is up in the northeast, and Orkneys have suddenly become big centres for hydrogen. Think of the things we're using in the UK, electric vehicles. The government is helping fund a new gigafactory in Coventry 
and the, Nissan has set their European operations for electric vehicles up in Sunderland. So there's a whole lot. And then water, people, admittedly, they've been talking about Swansea for ages, but Swansea and also Anglesey in terms of the tidal aspects. So the point is not only are we making lots of progress already in the UK in terms of renewables, but we do have a challenge. We're seeing more and more parts of the country. So it's linked to the sort of regional development as well. And it highlights how much is happening on the ground. All the major three political parties at the last election committed themselves to a net zero agenda. Yeah. Theresa May, when she was prime minister, probably 2019, committed Britain to a net zero by 2050. Some people are worried it's too expensive. That's why there's a pushback against it. But hopefully we've addressed some of those issues. But the UK is making lots of good progress. You think so? Do you yes. feel optimistic? Yes. Do you feel optimistic about our, your grandchildren's future? Are you going to tell me some news then? No, but you know what? Jared's had a really busy weekend. <laughs> okay. I have three children and none of them have children yet that I know of. That you know of. So I don't know about my grandchildren. No, but I mean, theoretically <laughs> speaking, if you were making a prediction, do you feel positive for their future? Yeah, because of their parents. Oh, my God, Dad. Can you literally just answer the question? Yes, Stop I, being Mr. Nice and positive. Yeah, I, I... One of the other positives in the UK is the Grantham Research Institute on Climate Change and the Environment at the London School of Economics and also at Imperial College. Imperial College does all the science. The LSE part does all the economics. And they come up with some really radical, implementable ideas. Really exciting. They also actually have a thing about nine things you can do yourself. Shall I tell you what they are? Go on. Use your voice to force change. Yes. So, Second, yep. eat less meat and dairy. Absolutely. You and, were a vegetarian for years, weren't you? Yeah, and I didn't have any dairy tonight because I wanted a cup of tea and you didn't have any milk, so I'm having black tea. So you had black tea even though I offered to make you coffee. Yeah. Three, flying. I think that means you fly less. And I, I didn't fly here. Uh, four, travel less by car. Oh dear, I did drive here, but then I couldn't come here by public transport. So there needs so the to point, be better public transport ba overall. Better public transport, uh, affordable public transport. Five, reduce energy use. Uh, people are doing that at the moment because the price is so high. Yeah, not by choice. <laughs> Six, more green spaces. That's a big one. And that's, that's so positive. hard, though, with housing in general. We're running out of space because we've got so many people. We need to end up building a more suburban areas and more... Well, smart cities is part of the solution. What's uh, you that? Ask. Smart cities are, well, cities are becoming smarter in terms, actually, I'm not sure how the phrase smart city comes about, but it's about making smarter use of everything. Um, but just very quickly. Basically, they just mean we'll build higher buildings. No, maybe not. Seven, invest in the area. Eight is cut consumption and waste. And nine, talk more about what you're doing on the environment. They're practical things from the Grantham Research They're Institute. They're not really practical. I mean, like, they are. They, they're, they're headline grabbers. If you draw headline down to okay, fine. I'll detail. do. I will read through those. We should do smart cities as a episode for a future podcast. Yes, because they sound smart, but I yes. don't know about them. They could be silly. We shall find out. Are you positive though? I, you were sounding a bit negative in my mind. I ago. don't feel positive because I feel like no one is going to take this really seriously until David Attenborough dies. I feel like where David Attenborough is just at the moment, he is the face, him and Greta are the faces of people going, oh no, we really do need to listen. Because still even in the news when you see all the things that are going on, especially in other areas with hurricanes and tsunamis and whatnot, 
people don't really take it seriously. There I know that's really not economic. There was a really good paper last year or before by a guy called Das Gupta in the UK on biodiversity. So there are lots of really positive people on this topic, but David Nathborough probably leads the way. So the answer to the question, is it green versus growth or is it green and growth? I would say green does mean growth because it's complementary to growth and would become more important for future growth. Very important. Very important. And smile. There we go. That's the end of the podcast. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Love you.